welcome to the Empathic Mastery Show. I'm your host, Jennifer Moore, and I'm so glad you're here. This is a place where we talk about what it means to be highly sensitive and empathic, how this impacts all aspects of our lives, and we explore tools, resources, and solutions so we can shift from absorbing all the thoughts, feelings, and energy of the world around us to being beacons for calm, love, and healing. Hey there, everybody. I am back, and today I have a wonderful guest with me. I am so excited to be introducing Carolina Gutierrez to all of you. So Carolina is a serial entrepreneur that runs three businesses. Starting her first business at age at the age of 12, as a mental wellness advocate for business owners, she was diagnosed with ADHD in her 30s and has since used her past difficulties to fuel her current business endeavors around the purpose of prioritizing mental wellness in business. As a sensitive empath that has turned her struggle into a passion, she is on a mission to highlight the realities of entrepreneurship on our mental health by helping dispel stigmas surrounding neurodiversity and empowering business owners to embrace their difference and find their superpower. Carolina, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Thanks for having me, Jennifer. I'm looking forward to it. Oh, I'm so excited. And I'll just full disclosure, you guys, Carolina and I recorded an interview a couple months ago. And unfortunately, the tech went totally sideways. And I did not catch it until I listened later and discovered that the audio sounded like we were underwater. And so thank you so much for coming back to have this conversation, because this feels like such an incredibly important conversation. The first one went so well that I'm like, yeah, for sure, it'll go well again. So hopefully we can recreate that magic. Well, and I'm even imagining now that we've kind of gotten all of that kind of like getting to know you energy out of the way. Now we can really dig in and we can have just like a really juicy conversation because, you know, I was saying to you more and more, I am just finding the interface or the dual diagnosis of empath, which technically is not a diagnostic term, but you know, this sort of the dual identity of empath and somebody with ADHD seems to be very common. And, and it's interesting because I think there's also a lot of intersection between those two things. But before we go into all of that, I always like to just give you guys a chance to kind of start at the very beginning and kind of qualify, you know, like share your backstory about what it was like to be a highly sensitive empath as a kid or as a young adult and like what that was like for you, how it impacted you. And I'd just love to hear like, how did being sensitive and also having ADHD affect you before you started finding the solutions? Sure. So I want to preface this by saying I love my family and I appreciate them, but I was absolutely not born into a tribe of people that were sensitive to my sensitivities. Let's just put it that way. So being sensitive for a good chunk of my life felt more like a burden than Mm -hmm. the gift that I acknowledge it to be today. So I remember being very, very young and just kind of stepping out of bed and and almost putting my toe to the ground and saying, what's the environment feel like today? What mood are they in? What mood are the people that I live within? And how am I going to adjust to this? How am I going to work with this today? Never realizing that that would set me up for a pattern that now rules my life 
whether that's good or bad, I think it depends on the day that you're asking me. But mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. the reality is, is that that just doesn't go away. That doesn't shut off. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I, you know, it was something that I always try to put forth a very hard exterior in order to really manage that inner sensitivity, that picking up of other people's feelings, that knowing exactly what was going on in the room without needing any explanation or words to describe it. But for me, I think I really started to embrace it in my early 20s when I said, listen, this is the reality that I've been that I've been given and I need to figure out a way to handle it. Because, you know, I think until you really start to embrace it, I don't like to use the word victim easily, but you almost feel victimized a bit. Right. Yes. Because everything yes. just it's like this these waves that just crash on you constantly. And you're like, I don't know what to do with this. Um, and especially if you don't have a mentor or anyone that is able to guide you and say, you know, there are some things that you can do or there's exercises or all that. You're kind of at the mercy of life in a very physical way. <laughs> In a very physical way. And then when you add the fact that you have family, you know, so I had this revelation earlier. I was actually recording an interview with somebody and we were talking about just the statistics of like, you know, how many people in our culture are HSP? Like, and, you know, the statistics are that somewhere between maybe 10 and 20% of the population is would be identified as highly sensitive people. But then my sense of it is that within that category, then you have maybe 10 to 20% of that category is like actually empathic, like our yeah. empaths. And totally. so we're talking like one to 2% of the population. It follows that if you think about that being that there's maybe one or two people out of a hundred that are like you and I are, that we are not in environments within our immediate family, within our classrooms, within our local community, where there are many of us. Yeah. And People don't get it. And so it's like, as you were saying, it's like, not only do we, are we picking up on all of this stuff, but we're often not, there's nobody who can validate it, who can acknowledge it, who can recognize it. And it is absolutely crazy making. And everything you're saying, you were saying about your experience, sadly, I have yet to meet a guest who has not, or a client or a student who has not had this experience of being kind of like the one who is misunderstood and also often that our sensitivity is regarded as problematic and something that we need to fix as opposed to something that's a gift. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I think also based on, on those environments, we start to view ourselves differently, right? And when we have that self-image of something wrong or something maybe different, maybe wrong isn't the right word. I know for me, wrong was the word for a big part of my early life. But I think that that really, we live in an environment now where we're starting to acknowledge that and be okay with that. But growing up for me, I'm in my forties now, that wasn't a reality when right. I was growing up. So, no. you know, like now you see, I love when I, I don't know how it is in the States, but here in Canada, we have certain grocery store chains that have hours for people that are neurodiverse, where the lights go down and they turn down the music in the background and they pick it and they actually announce it so that it's not too busy. And I think like I am tears almost came to my eyes when I saw that, even though I, I'm not autistic. Um, my husband is on the spectrum. So I understand that very well, that overwhelm. And I was like, OK, wow, this is this is big. This is progress. 
This is huge. I don't know if you could see my mouth open. <laughs> no, yes, <I> we do <laughs> not have that, at least in Maine. I mean, we did, we have sort of introduced the idea of like senior citizen shopping hours, like yeah. shopping hours for people who need a little bit more support. But, you know, the idea of lowering lights, controlling the number of people who are coming into the space and also limiting the Muzak. Oh my God, that just sounds like heaven because I mean, I cannot personally, there is nothing more. There are two things that are like going to a bed, bath and beyond or yes, like, a, you know, <laughs> yeah, like going to that and smelling the smells that for my nervous system is just like absolute hell. And then, but also going to Best Buy where it's like, you've got all the electronics and the noise. It's just, oh, so yeah. what an amazing thing that at least in Canada, people are starting to recognize the way that some of us process information is different and that it's easier to do Absolutely. it if it's not quite so overstimulating. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Now it's not all grocery stores. It's just one chain and it's, you know, yeah. I, I believe it's like once a week or something, but it, it's still, it's something that I, you know, you wouldn't have expected to see. Right. No, and it's acknowledging it. So, you know, one of the things before you and I jumped on the, be, jumped on together uh, or onto the, <laughs> before I hit the record button, let's just <laughs> call it what it is. We were talking about one of the dances for you around like overcommitment, you know, and just really talking about like that relate and, and about that connection or interconnection between being an empath and ADHD and everything. And actually that sort of leads me to the first question is talk to me about what you see as the intersection between ADHD and being an empath. I think when I look at that, I think being an empath might fall into that, but I'd like a, a little bit of a more broader look at it. And I think that ADHD comes with a lot of gifts and those mm -hmm. gifts for some people might be empathic, for others, it might be different. But I do believe that there is a higher purpose when you see this neurodiversity appearing in our planet, whether it's through the spectrum of autism or ADHD or a plethora of other things that we don't have names for yet, but that, you know, that others people, I think that there's definitely a greater purpose that's involved in that, in bringing stuff to our planet and in teaching us there are different ways of doing things and that we are able to honor people for their gifts, not just for their differences. For me, definitely ADHD and being an empath are highly, highly tied in. I see it as I just process the world differently. And it, it just, for me, words have a physical impact in my body, right? Like when I hear someone say that, I can feel like a wave hit me, right? Mm. Um, that might sound a bit exaggerated to some people, but, you know, when someone's yelling, that is like, I feel myself almost vibrating. So it, you know, that can be really challenging. And then you have the whole host of other, you know, concurrent issues that ADHD brings in, in regards to whether it's physical symptoms, whether it's time management, whether it's perception of things, whether it's uh, your thoughts that you can't control and you speak, you know, when it's not your turn or interrupting people, we could spend a whole show just discussing, you know, those different ways that it shows up. But I know for me, ADHD and being an empath directly ties into that overcommitting that I was telling you about um, a little yes. bit earlier before the show, 
coming back to the question in a very roundabout yeah, yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. Because you well, know that was I started with that question, but then I threw this question in and then yeah. said, let's talk about this. So <laughs> you're doing perfectly. You're tracking okay. me exactly where I need to go. Awesome. Yeah. So for me, it's a challenge because number one, as an entrepreneur, I don't have someone telling me what to what my day's gonna look like, what you know, tasks need to be done. I'm the one that's setting those tasks. I'm the one that's making those decisions. So you combine that, the fact that I sing for my supper every day. So I'm the reality as an entrepreneur is I'm out to make money and to bring business in. Combine that with being an empath and reading other people and kind of in negotiations or in talks or discussions. And it would be really great if we could get this early and then throw in adulting and the ups and downs that life brings. And so also with ADHD, having a bit of a compromised functioning in regards to higher risk taking and making decisions quickly, things of that nature. You know, when life gets hairy, that can be a really difficult combination to manage. And you can find mm -hmm. yourself barely treading water because you have packed your schedule to the max in order to fill these commitments, whether it's because you need it on your end or, or you're seeing that your clients need it, or there's an opportunity in the market that has opened up and you're like, Hey, you know, because I do run several businesses. It's not just, I have a business where it relies on clients. I have another business where it's a product that we make. So there's a lot of moving parts that when you're not in your center, and I think that that's a really important statement as an empath, being at your centers is crucial, I think, to learning how to manage that. When you're not in your center, oh my gosh, it's so easy to fall off and and really just start to repeat patterns that you would think that you might have been done 20 years ago and all right. of a sudden they're appearing back in your life. Right. Well, and this brings in so many different parts. You just had me think, I'm just like, I've got so many different thoughts from all that you were saying, because there's so much gold in here. And the thing about clients wanting something immediately, and I'll just offer two things that have made, or actually sort of three things that have made a huge difference for me. One is the saying, good, fast, or cheap, pick any two. And that <laughs> yeah. has been an incredibly helpful thing for me to understand that it's like, you don't get to have it all. You don't get to have it fast, good, and cheap. You get to choose. Do you want it to be good and fast? Then you're going to pay a lot of money for it. Do you want it to be good and cheap? Then you're not going to get, or do you want it to be good and cheap? Then you're not going to get it soon. You know, if you want it to be like cheap and fast, then it's probably not going to be that great. That really helped me like just remembering that kind of like guideline for thinking about things, but then also for me, I live by the saying, your poor planning does not constitute my emergency. And also just the classic Polish statement, not my circus, not my monkeys, because it's so I know that especially when you've got somebody who's desperate to get something done as an empath, we can feel their will and we can feel their urgency and we can feel their desire and want to make it better for them. Mm -hmm. And so it can be so easy to get sucked into those people, like another person's need, even if it's utterly unrealistic. And yeah. I think also, I know for myself, usually, and this, and it goes back to not being centered. When I'm centered, I have the ability to say, is this mine? Yes or no. Yes. If it's not mine, I'm good. Like as long as I have that clear, I can, I've lived long enough to know how to put those boundaries in place, right? It's when, you know, life knocks us off our center 
that that's when, you know, these proven, really useful things that we know, we forget, right? And I always say that as an entrepreneur, you know, you need help when, and I think that applies to entrepreneurship or not. There are certain signs in our life that we, at a certain age, start to recognize this means that things are not going okay in my life. And what are the training wheels or the the rails that we're going to put on to say, okay, when I'm hitting this, what do I need to do to bring myself back to center? Because this means I'm not in the healthy, balanced place that I try to be normally. So let's talk about those specifics because, you know, you're sort of, you've been like, I'm hearing you kind of hint at when this, then this. Yeah. So what are some of the characteristics of how do we recognize when we're off center? How do we like, how do we know when we are, we're going off the rails? Well, I think part of it definitely is you need to have done the work on yourself in order to get to that place. I'm not going to say that, or maybe it's true. Maybe a 15 year old will know, you know, some of them come in knowing I'm, I'm not here to judge and say, oh, you're not old enough to know that. But most of us need to do some of that inner digging to really be honest with ourselves and say, this is the unhealthy me popping up. And what does that unhealthy me look like? I can't speak for other people, but I can tell you what the unhealthy Carolina looks like. The unhealthy that Carolina, awesome. <laughs> the unhealthy Carolina, her house is a mess. That is my mm-hmm. number one sign, right? You know, it has been a lifelong challenge for me. And um, COVID, uh, we lost our cleaning lady. She's still alive. I just mean, we had to let her go. And yep, my hope is to bring here. her back. But that is the number one sign, right? Um, laundry piling up, um, mm-hmm. dishes not being done. So it's kind of that daily, I'm not saying, you know, kill yourself doing this every day, but that daily maintenance that lets our life hum a little bit easier, that starts to go down. So that's the number one sign for me. Number two, poor eating. I'm very mm. disciplined in in how I eat and the food that I make and when I keep in the house. When I start to see that I'm eating takeout a bit more, that I'm not being able to stock the grocery or the fridge with healthy groceries. I'm going for those snack foods and stuff like that. I'm like, uh, something's off. What's off? What's happening? You know, the other thing too is surrounding yourself with people that is that are going to give you honest feedback. A good friend isn't going to tell you what you want to hear. A good friend is going to say what's going on, right? And they're like, hey, what's going on? You seem a little bit on edge. You've avoided coming out or we haven't had our talk or, you know, whatever that friendship looks like for you. That's a big sign for me. I tend to cocoon when I'm overwhelmed as an empath. I don't want anybody around. I recharge my batteries with my dogs and Netflix. And so um, when I'm recharging too much, there's something going on that I'm not addressing, right? And Mm -hmm, those feelings mm -hmm. that I'm avoiding from picking up from other people can be really overwhelming. And so I'm, I'm in my hiding place. So having somebody that knows you enough and that you've built enough trust with them to gently yet firmly say, hey, something's going on, what's happening? That's very important in my life. Mm. Well, I, for one, can say, oh, my God, I totally recognize some of those characteristics. (laughs) And I mean, laundry is definitely one of the barometers. Like when I am overwhelmed, laundry is one of the very first things to go. And my husband and I were actually joking last night that we're eating like eight year olds right now because Uh we're doing like we've just been like, we're just kind of like, I don't really want to struggle about this. I don't want to make any effort. And so it's like last night we had gluten free pizza. I mean, it's healthier, 
healthy-ish, but we had gluten-free pizza and like gluten-free, like organic chicken tendies, you know? So it's like, we're eating like pizza and chicken tenders for dinner. We were eating like eight-year-olds. And I know that that kind of, and that is definitely a sign of like, when I am overextended, laundry, dishes, you know, like housekeeping, these things definitely get in the way. So I loved your really specific examples because I, for one, can totally relate. I imagine there's a lot of people in the audience who can too. Well, and I think also, you know, that overextending and and I want to be transparent with this because I think it's important when you have ADHD and you find something that you love as an entrepreneur, that can be really dangerous because I found a new hobby over the summer that I'm like, oh, I'm going to do that, you know, and then I'm like, I can monetize this hobby. And then I've been doing these markets on my days off. Right. And I'm like, wow. Okay. And I speak about this. I speak about this on podcasts all the time about the need for balance in the entrepreneurial lifestyle and not overcommitting and making sure that you're taking time for you. And I managed to take something that was feeding my soul and I made it into a commitment. And I, you know, and so I think it's really important to be gentle with ourselves in that no one's perfect. No one has this worked out, but if you can always come back to that center, and I think part of that center is brutal honesty with yourself and who you are, right? I delved into this, this particular scenario that I'm talking about, about two months ago, and I just kind of came up for air about two weeks ago. And I was like, what am I doing? Why am I doing? My husband's like, you're going, this is ADHD on, you know, on overdrive that you decided to just run with this. Like, you know, it was your first business ever and you're just going gung ho. So that brutal honesty is something that you really need to keep close. And, you know, sometimes it doesn't come up right away. Sometimes it can take a couple of weeks <laughs> or months for you to uh, to say it. But I would definitely say that's part of, of being centered. Well, and um, oh, God, you know, the whole thing of like, that's one of the things that I think is both the brilliance and the challenge of being a neurodiverse entrepreneur is the creativity and the ideas and the excitement about new things and just being like, oh, my God, I can monetize this. And I know for myself, like I actually went through a period where I got really, really, really into creating prayer beads Mm. and and creating alternate, you know, like creating sort of like non-secular rosaries or like non Catholic rosaries. And people were like, oh my God, they're so beautiful. Can I buy one from you? And I made a very, very clear choice not to monetize them because I was like, this will suck the joy out of this thing that I'm doing for fun. And it will turn it into like a burden. And it also will require one of the things that I am the worst at, which is getting shit into the mail. Like I (laughs) absolutely horrible at getting my butt to the post office because there isn't such a thing as like, it would be just where I am. It's not necessarily really easy to like, just sort of like do a like package things up and then have the mailman come and pick it up necessarily. It's much easier to just go to the post office. But that means that there's like this transition. And I was just like, you know what? Don't go there, little buckaroo. But it is so easy. I totally, I mean, I don't know you, since this is just audio, you guys couldn't see me like laughing, like (laughs) smiling and nodding my head and laughing with Carolina as she's talking about this because I'm like, oh yeah. Like how many 
side hustles or like passions that we get excited about, suddenly it's like, I could turn this into a money-making thing. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. But, you know, I think I've caught it in time that I haven't ruined it yet. Who knows? Maybe you'll have me back on in a year and I'll let you know. (laughs) But I've said to myself, you know, this is it. Like I've stopped booking shows and I'm like two a month, two days a month that will feel make me happy. I love that environment as an empath. You know, I never really kind of made the connection because for me going out, I love being at home as an empath naturally is. I love like to me, my home is my sanctuary. I am the happiest when I'm here. So for me to make a commitment to step out and and be social, it has to be something that I really enjoy. And what I realize is, is when I overcommitted, I'm like, wow, I just managed to suck the joy out of the part of me that I was trying to be healthy and connect with others. So I needed to rein it back and be really conscious of that and say, okay, we're going to do this in a healthy way. We're going to do this in a way that really feeds your spirit instead of your pocket. (laughs) Right, right, right. Well, and trusting that if we do what feeds our spirit, our pocket is going to be fed better than if we go in the line direction. And I think that really trusting that, 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 you know, it's like follow what's right and aligned, not what we think is going to generate profit. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. for sure. But, you know, again, I think it's that, higher risk taking that ADHD is capable or not capable, but is it is definitely something that shows up with people that have that, not kind of realizing the consequences of certain actions and, you know, mixing it in with the reality of COVID as an empath for me, I was like, oh man, I'm made for this. <laughs> I was like, it was no problem for the first two years, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Then I'm like, okay, this is this has now gotten very unhealthy. It's too easy for me. And so I've been slowly trying to make and and take those steps to go outwards. You know, the reality is, is I built most of my businesses are online businesses because I like the safety and comfort of home. I'm going to be honest with you. And I'm honest with my clients too. You'll get professional quality work for me, but I want to work in my pajamas without a bra on. That's just the, that's just really where you're going to get the best of me. So it really is this really interesting cocktail that life serves you when you have ADHD and you're an empath and you have certain gifts that you want to share with the world. But it's a matter of kind of being a child and an adult at the same time, having that Mm -hmm, innate mm -hmm. curiosity and beauty and creativity and freedom that a child has while still having the guardrails that an adult puts on on it. But they're all in the same person. (laughs) Right, right, right. Well, and just, you know, having that sense of priority and boundaries, there was a book that I listened to some people had mentioned it by it's um, called Essentialism by Greg McKeon or McCowan. And he and basically one of the things he talks about at the very beginning of the book is like the word priorities is an oxymoron. You cannot have an S on the word prior like priorities defies what the word means, which is one thing that is most important. And like our, I mean, as a culture, I think we tend to, we've really lost the plot in terms of staying, sticking to tasks. Like we've gotten very sucked into kind of multitasking and kind of going in all these different directions. But I think that when you are multi-passionate, when you get really excited about a lot of different things, it can be so easy 
to lose that sense of like, oh, this is the thing. There's a woman, another entrepreneur, Denise Stuffield Thomas, who wrote Get Rich, Lucky Bit, another book called Lucky Bitch. And now she's just recently written, a. she did release the second edition of a book called Chillpreneur, which is now called Chill and Prosper. And Denise is somebody with ADHD. And one of the things that Denise says all the time is all roads lead to money boot camp because like I know from my own experience that it is so easy to get distracted and to be like, I could do this and I could do this and I could yeah, do this. Absolutely. And then if you get into the entrepreneur, you know, sort of the world of online entrepreneurs and coaching, every mm. one of your mentors and every coach is going to have a slightly different approach. Yeah. And it's really easy to kind of be like, oh, well, they told me to do this, 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 and this. Yeah. And we can easily end up biting, biting off more than we can chew. Oh, I see so many clients like that. So many clients. One of my businesses were, were the implementers for those coaching plans. So we take the technology and we make the, those plans that they, those are big ideas that they, they give you and that they help you create. We're the ones that implement the background so that they become reality. It's very different. It's a very different side of myself. I'm not so empathic, but you'd be surprised how much that actually plays a role there. But what we see Actually, all the not time, at all. no, okay. Yeah, no, no, I totally <laughs> um, get it. But what we see all the time is these people that are guided by these visionary coaches and they're great, but the coaches are like, it has to be A, B, C, and D in the technology that you implement. And it's like, well, it doesn't really, right? But because this is what they know, this is what they're teaching you, right? So it's something that I think can be a bit of a trap sometimes mm -hmm. um, for people and that they ca get caught in that loop. And I think as empaths, because so many of us want and swim in the online space so easily, it is so important for us to get out into the world and to discuss our ideas in front of real people, not in front mm -hmm. of a screen, but maybe mm -hmm. over a nice cup of tea on the patio with a close group of friends, because you're going to get some honest, real world feedback. Because the reality is, is that as much as the online world is growing and I have an online, I have several online businesses, I buy the, the Kool-Aid in that area. There's still a chunk of the world that doesn't. Mm -hmm. And we want to be realistic with what it is that we're doing and who we're reaching, right? And not everybody is in that space. So we want to make sure that we get kind of that balanced perspective with what it is that we're putting out there. Well, and you just made me think of another thing, which is that the other thing is that within the online entrepreneur business coaching world in particular, one of the things that I've noticed is that business coaches rarely vet their clients in the sense of they will take what the client is saying at face value. They'll take what the client is saying about their vision and their dream. They'll take their money and then they will, you know, give them the rah, rah, rah coaching. But I've absolutely seen business coaches who are like coaching people with no credentials, with no training, with like who have an idea, but they don't necessarily have any solid grounding in it. And I think that that's the other side of it is that the virtual world, like it doesn't necessarily like there is a certain way in which the business coaches are are making money off of coaching us. And a lot of times they're not necessarily asking the super hard questions of, do you have what it takes 
to actually successfully and effectively run this business. And like, I think not it goes just back you to that radical honesty. Idea. Right. The radical, radical honesty. honesty. Yeah, for yeah. sure. For sure. I yeah. think a lot of coaches struggle with that themselves. So, yeah. uh, you know, expecting that they're going to do that with the clients that they bring on probably not going to be the case. Right. It's right. Right. It's a, I think it's it's still a bit of the wild, wild west, to be honest with you. Right. A lot of people can just throw up a shingle and say, I'm a coach. Okay. And it's like, have you really made have you actually sold a business? Have you made money in a business? Chances are at least half are going to say no to that, if not more. Right. Well, and, you know, as an EFT practitioner and as I'm, you know, I'm a master, I'm one of 100 and at this point, 119 master trainers internationally for EFT International. And we have a very, very stringent set of standards. We have like criteria. There's like a bunch of things you have to do to become, you know, to become an EFT practitioner through our system. But anybody, anybody can say that they are an EFT practitioner. There's no standard. There's no global standard. There's no national standard. Anybody can say they're a tapper. Anybody can say that they're an EFT practitioner. Anybody can take a course from Udemy and claim to know what they're doing. And what I will say is that in having multiple conversations with people, I have run into a lot of people who think that they know what they're doing because they thought that they like took the course in Udemy and that was enough and are claiming to have skills that they do not know they don't have. And mm -hmm. I think that, you know, that's the, this is true within EFT, but I think it is also true within, you know, within the coaching industry and within many different industries, especially in the world where you can have like these individual influencers who decide to create a certification program. Oh, so somebody becomes certified. Programs. Oh no. Yeah, you don't get you're us just, started. Yeah, don't Did get I me just started on that. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, That's I imagine another show. you and I could That's stand on both show. sides of the yeah, <laughs> you and I could both stand on the soapbox together right now yeah. on this one. Because yeah. this is one of my personal pet peeves, actually, is like certification is only, I mean, like I honestly believe certification is, is only as valuable as like the paper it's written on, but also it's only as valuable as the system that is vetting it and is backing it up. And if it's one individual who's doing it for profit, it's kind yeah. of like. Where are the checks and balances here? Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Maybe we should change the topic. <laughs> yes, I think yeah. we're taking it into a different direction. Than, yeah, totally different direction. Your, well, so your let's listeners talk about want to go. <laughs> so let's talk about solutions. I mean, so how do you, so at the point where you sort of start going, okay, I've overcommitted myself. How do you start backing the truck out? Like, how do you put it in reverse? What do you do? I know for me, I don't realize that I've overcommitted until I'm yep. deep, deep into the deep. Like I'm at the deep end at the bottom, sitting at the <laughs> sitting at the corner of the pool, wondering why no one's here with me type of thing. Right. Like that's I'm not quick to identify that. But I know for me, it's almost like, um, you know, when those those things that you spin and it just keeps going around and around on a little stick. And it, I, yeah, don't, a top, I don't know the, or a, a top, a top. Yeah, like a yeah, dreidel. A exactly. It's almost like that's me. And in, mm -hmm. unless I do a full 100 emergency break, pull, stop what I'm doing and have like a day of saying, oh, my God, what did I just do? I don't slow down very easily. Mm -hmm. So I almost mm -hmm. need that shock. And I think that that is part of the ADHD part component of, of my brain is I need that almost adrenaline pumping immediate boom stop you in your tracks type of thing. And then I'm like, wow. And then I find myself 
starting to, you know, untie the knots that I've made when it comes to overcommitting. But I almost need that bucket of cold water day where I just kind of sit still and say, wow, I just fell into this pattern again. I don't want to Mm -hmm. even say messed up. I'm trying to be more kind to myself in that respect, but I'm like, wow, okay, well, this is a lifelong journey, right? This is a pattern that's appeared, reared its head. And what am I going to do about it? Right. So, um, and I think also there's a bit of upbringing there that comes in, in, in a certain type of work ethic that I was definitely raised in and keeping your commitments and being, you know, sticking to your word. And so that big combination comes in. So then I find myself currently with the overcommitment that I just did, I have about six weeks of undoing that I have Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, where I've overcommitted, mm -hmm. where I'm like, I don't want to do this. I'm waking up early. I'm, you know, like I'm I'm getting out and this isn't fun anymore, but I'm going to be able to keep my word. I've learned my lesson. And it's almost like it's it's the part of me that allows it to the lesson to be ingrained once I've actually said it out loud. Say, okay, we're not going to do this like this anymore, but I'm still going to keep my word. <laughs> right. Exactly. Like you're going to, because of your own internal integrity, you're going you're yeah. not going to just bail on it. And, you know, as you're speaking, I'm just thinking about, you know, my friend Britt refers to things as like certain things in your life are like your check engine light. And for me, like when I overextend myself, there's certain things that classically happened. One is I'd run out of gas. That would be a dead giveaway that Absolutely. I was really distracted. Yep run out of gas, lock my keys in my car or lock myself out of something, but also then get into, and when I was younger, it would be, I'd get into car accidents. <gasps> Fortunately, oh, wow. that has not happened in a really long time, but health issues too. Like if yeah. I overextend myself and overextend myself, eventually I will crash and burn and I will get sick and I will mm-hmm. get into a situation where the universe is just like, okay, we are putting the kibosh on this. You are stopping right yeah, now. Absolutely. And so I totally could relate when you were talking about the sort of that splash of cold water where you're just like the universe just kind of like is like wall in front of you. You're not going any further. And but the pattern you're talking about, you know, I became aware of this particular pattern because I've been tarot reading for many years. And I see this pattern very much in the um, if people are into tarot in the night of pentacles of sort of like like this go, you know, like just this intense, like overworking and then crashing like does that tension or sort of like the work, 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 work completely just like and crash and burn. So as you so I'm wondering So one more tip, actually, as you say that before you answer that. So one of the things that I did do immediately when I recognized that when that bucket of cold water hit and I said, okay, I've overcommitted. I have six weeks that I have to adjust to this. And then we start. I immediately addressed my schedule. I immediately went and started blocking time off. So what was happening was because I have a regular B2B business, business in order, that's Monday to Friday, even though sometimes people do things on weekends, but I'm seeing clients Monday to Friday with that. We also have our, our room spray company. When I was doing my hypnosis and therapy practice, that tends to be evenings, sometimes weekends. When I started doing these fairs, I was doing Saturday and Sunday. So mm-hmm. what I ended up, yeah, so all of my days were taken up, right? Mm-hmm. So what I ended up doing was, was that I was doing, I went in and I blocked off Mondays as a full day off. I blocked off Friday afternoons as a full day off so that if I'm doing these fairs, I'm going to take away from my other business just in the meantime, because it was the only way that I had to recharge. That was the only control that I could put in at the time until I finished the commitments 
to then approach it from a more balanced perspective. I'm a firm believer in blocking off your calendar and managing your time. Absolutely. Well, and something that some people like I've learned is like, for example, if you are going to do like a weekend or if I'm going to run like a weekend event, I need to block off Monday and Tuesday for like recuperating time. And that might be like to the average, the neurotypical person that may be like, duh, but you know, that was like revelatory for me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I know for myself, the other thing is I also have to block off time so that there's no space in my calendar, because if I see a hole in my calendar, I will fill it. Like I'll be like, oh, there's a place I could fit this other interview in or something like that. And like having time boundaries feels like it's so incredibly important. Well, and it's, it's yeah. it ties into that people pleasing that that you had mentioned right. before we started the interview with being an empath, because, you know, as a counselor and I and I run a spiritual counseling practice, so I absolutely understand where you're coming from. Part There are certain clients where I'll read for them. So, mm-hmm. you know, your intuition is screaming in your ear. This person needs help. Your empathic abilities, you're reading, you're feeling their energy saying, please fit me in somehow and you're going up against your own well-being to say okay <laughs> who do i please here who do i take care of here where's the priority because my intuition is saying this is part of what you need to do the person is saying i need this help but you're like where's the help for me where is my boundary where where do i step in and say okay i can't help you if i'm not in a good place And I think that I would as and please let me know as a fellow empath, I really think that that is just a lifelong struggle for us because we're just being we're getting that from all of these different places. And it's kind of like where the cocooning and the solitude comes in. Yeah, well, and for me, there's a dance in this in that. Part of it has been coming to trust that I'm not the only person in the world who has these abilities. Mm -hmm. And that even if I am the one who's sort of like the first line of defense or the first person who picks up on the urgency and my intuition is telling me that this person has a need, I've had to learn to cultivate trust in the fact that if I do not have the space, then I am not this person's higher power and that they have a higher power, they have a resources. And that a lot of times, and I've had the experience of like people reaching out to me and being like, oh my God, I'm in an emergency. Can you possibly see me right now? And I'm like, I'm really sorry, but no, I don't have the space or time right now. Let's check in in about a week or let's check in about two weeks. And by the time I check back in with them, they're like, oh, I worked it through. Like I had to do my own work. I had to take care of myself. I figured it out. And a lot of times, like for me, it's also just about trusting that even if there is the feeling of immediate urgency and discomfort, it doesn't mean that I have to change my life. And the other day, somebody asked me a question where they were like, they basically like had this thing of like, is your calendar the way it is just for every, like, is, do you have a special calendar for your VIPs or is your calendar just like this for everybody? And I was like, what you see is what you get. Like the calendar yeah. is showing you what I have available. It has nothing to do with whether you're VIP or not. Like, no, yeah. I don't have like the friends and family like come in through the back door and I can see you like three or four weeks ahead of time. And for me, like just the fairness of like, no, my calendar is my calendar. There's no such thing as like special priority necessarily. Yeah. And if I don't have the space, I don't have the space. That's just how it is. 
Yeah, yeah. Getting over the guilt. And I think there's also a big, a really important point that you brought up there is because so many empaths are so highly intuitive too, right? I think there are some that aren't, but I would say the majority that I've met tend to be intuitive. I would agree. I would agree. And I think that I know as a counselor and as a healer in, in carrying that energy, one thing that it took me a while to really realize was the importance of honoring other people's journey. And that you actually rob them of what it is that they might need to go through. And I don't say that from this privileged standpoint of like, we're there to save, like, absolutely not. I mean it more from the sense of with our intuition and our empathicness, we are highly attuned to what's going on, maybe sometimes more attuned than they are. Mm -hmm. And we are gifted yet at the same time hold a responsibility to not step in for them and rob them of whatever it is that they're going through, whether it's good, bad, or nothing or neutral in how you judge it. It's really important to remember that we're on our own journeys as much as they are on theirs. And it's taken me a really long time in holding that energy to recognize it's not my job to go in and swoop in and 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 fix people that is absolutely not the case and i think that that is something that as empaths we struggle with quite a bit because i think that we can recognize pain where others don't even when it's pain in, in themselves yes like i'm like preach sister everything you are saying yes 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 and I have had the experience too. I really believe that one of the other things is if we have not done our own work as empaths in terms of being able to sit with our own distress and our own discomfort, we feel better when other people feel better. And therefore, Mm -hmm. if somebody is in pain and we cannot, and we're not comfortable with our own pain, we're not going to be comfortable with their pain either. And, no. and it creates a sense of emergency within ourselves that makes yeah. us feel like we need to rush into rescue. But, yeah. you know, you're so, I mean, it's like, we don't necessarily do anybody any favors by no. taking over the reins and fixing things when really what somebody needs to do is figure it out for themselves. And are we really fixing it? No, that's really, I think where it goes. Are we fixing it? No, I think we're just messing it up even more. We're meddling. We're (laughs) meddling. meddling. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I know from my own personal experience that I have had to, like most of the lessons in my life, I have had, like there have been times in my life where I've had to ask for help and like the grace, you know, the hand of grace has been extended and it has saved my butt. But there's a way in which that is a very proactive choice because it's like admitting the places that I cannot do it on my own and, uh, but, but being proactive and asking for help. But there have been many, many times and places where only by being sick and tired of being sick and tired, have I been willing to change my own behavior? Have I been willing to look at things in a new way and do things differently? So it's in the depths of those despair, right? It's it's in that despair and it's in that uncomfortableness that, you know, creativity 
rears its head in regards to the problems that we're facing. And I think we see that a lot in the world, right? Yes. New technologies, new things, new inventions don't come in until we desperately need them, right? And then we see this surge of ingenuity and entrepreneurship that then all of a sudden we're like, wow, why didn't we think of this 30 years ago? Well, we weren't suffering enough. And I really hate to say that. I'm not a fan of that. But I think that the reality is, is it does serve a bit of a purpose, right? I think it's a double-edged sword. And I think that you need to be really careful. You don't want to wish suffering on anyone. Mm -hmm. But I know that, you know, I've come through the other side better in those dark moments. Do I wish that they didn't happen as often? Absolutely. I'm kind of done with them. (laughs) If you want to know the truth, but I can't deny how it's helped me in a way. I'm just nodding my head as you are speaking. Just so you so many pearls of wisdom, like so many truth bombs that you have just been dropping today. And like, oh, what an amazingly rich, good conversation this is. So Carolina, I cannot believe how fast this conversation has oh, been. Oh, is time up already? Wow. <laughs> not quite, not quite, okay. but we're getting there. Like, you know, we've, we're coming in, we're sort of dialing in towards the home stretch right now. And so I wanted to sort of give you a heads up that we were kind of getting to that place. So I guess one question I have for you is once you have a revelation, with, you know, like, I don't know, I kept thinking of this joke that a friend of mine said years ago. It's like, you know, how many kids with ADHD does it take to screw in a light bulb? You want to go ride bikes? <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. like um, you know, with that natural tendency to get excited about absolutely everything, but if particularly the things that jazz us or excite us, how, once you've learned a lesson, do you try to hold on to that? Do you anchor that? Do you adhere to that? Do you keep it in place? Like, how do you not find yourself backsliding or backpedaling? So, you know, if you would have asked me that question maybe five, 10 years ago, I would say I'd be rigid and, you know, I'd almost keep a journal about it and I'd hold myself to task. And since I've hit 40, I've really come into the tendency of being compassionate with myself. And if it happens, it happens. And Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. when I recognize it, I'm like, you know better. Okay, let's do better. And if it fall happens again, then it happens again. I just, I find that for many years, I was holding myself to this ridiculous standard. And I think that there's so many components that come into that standard. You know, the societal pressures of what women should be and how they should keep home and behave and, you know, kind of all those things. And, And also the way I was raised culturally and and the generation that I, that I come from. And when I started letting go of those self-imposed expectations, because as much as society imposes them, we're the ones that decide to actually implement them or not. When I started letting go of that, I started to feel a little better. I've reached a point in my life where it's not about the to-do list. It's not about, I learned that lesson and I waved that flag with pride. It's more of, does this bring me peace? And whatever it is that can bring me peace, that is what I want in my life at this point. And I find that both as an empath and as a as a person that has ADHD, those really high and low moments are very characteristic of both of those things. And as elation can set in and what that feels like can be great. 
it's exhausting going it exhausting. from from those very and I would say that you know and I think it's an interesting place that we're going with this conversation because a lot of women that weren't that aren't diagnosed ADHD are diagnosed misdiagnosed with bipolar or depression that can show those same highs and lows that we see that are misdiagnosed are also given improper medication, like there's consequences for that. But I think that when we recognize that that's characteristics of these things that we're discussing, and when we start to not chase that anymore, I'm finding it a much more comfortable body to be in um, than I had prior to recognizing that, yeah, I want nice things in my life. I want happy moments, sure, but I'm much rather peace than, than having those extremes. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I mean, for me, not chasing the ecstasy has been a very big part of not succumbing to the misery Mm -hmm. and also not getting sucked into the drama. Mm -hmm. Like I really had to set boundaries for myself about not engaging in drama, either my own drama or other people's drama. And I personally really prefer a life on an even keel that may be, quote, boring to some people, as opposed to like chasing that kind of overstimulation. And I mean, I, I think in a way like this is a whole other podcast and a whole other conversation just about the addiction to stimulation Absolutely. and the addiction to, to adrenaline yeah. and adrenaline and all of these ways in which we just keep ourselves just like constantly churning it out and constantly going and going and going. I mean, there's just so much to it. So at this point, we really are like dialing in or rounding in on the, you know, the last five minute mark. And so I guess what I'd love to ask you is If you had a message for like 20-year-old Carolina or 15-year-old Carolina or 25-year-old Carolina or maybe all three of them, like what would you want your younger self to know when you were really struggling? Trust your intuition, period. Every moment that I look back, not so much with regret anymore, but when I look back kind of like where it still stings a bit, my -hmm. intuition was guiding me and I didn't listen, no. So I think that, you know, if there's one cause that I'm going to die on the hill on and, and that is going to mark the rest of my life is having people honor that inner voice, because regardless of what that where you are, regardless if you're an empath, if you have ADHD, if you're a neurotypical, that advice still stands and it is valid advice for everyone across the board. Would I understand my gifts better? Maybe, maybe not. You know, would I understand ADHD and my empathicness? Maybe, maybe not. But I would still be guided for whatever it is that I need to be guided to do. And I think that's something that is robbed of us in this society. We are robbed of it. And Mm -hmm. it's something that many people have to learn to rebuild later on in their lives. And It is personalized guidance that is there specifically for you and what you're here to do. So, you know, if I were to look back at myself and again, this applies to anyone that asks me that question, whether it's for myself or anyone else, what's the advice I give? Always follow your intuition. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Carolina, this conversation has been so rich. And it's been like, I mean, I could talk to you for hours. Like there were so many. (laughs) Me too. It was so great. (laughs) Yeah. And well, and just so many really like I had a number of aha moments and 
I just a number of aha moments. And part of me is like, oh, you kind of went down a rabbit hole <laughs> with some stuff. So I'm kind of, I'm actually realizing like from this conversation, there's a couple of things that I need to tweak. And one of my personal takeaways is, you know, like I really heard two things in what you're saying. One is trust your intuition, like that being just like the core of all of this. The other one is block off your calendar. Like set aside time. Like, and for me, like that practical reality of just like block off the calendar, like do not make, you know, because in my, for me, if there's a hole in the calendar, I will fill it. And so I just, that was a really helpful reminder of just block off the calendar, create the, like, don't leave space. (laughs) where you can get yourself into trouble. Don't leave space so that you create space for you type of thing, right? Yeah, exactly. Don't leave space so you can create space for you or claim space by claim space. Yeah. (laughs) So Carolina, before I let you go, how can people get in touch with you? Oh, sure. So if you go to bookcarolina.com, B-O-O-K, just like the book, Carolina, just like the state, carolina.com, it will Mm -hmm. talk about all of my speaking, where the podcast that I appear and all the different projects that I like to spend my time and uh, dedication to. So by all means, check me out. And uh, I'd love to connect with anyone out there that's looking to improve the world in some way, shape or form. I'm always looking for a good cause to support. Awesome. Well, and I'm I'm just out of curiosity. I mean, you do some B2B work and it sounds like a big part of what you do is you help, um, you know, you help the not neurodiverse entrepreneurs to thrive in their world. And so is that also at bookcarolina.com? Yeah, absolutely. That would be uh, my business is Business in Order. And we've just released our organized business bootcamp. And it's all about looking for strategies that you can implement right away that apply to any service-based business that will help you stay organized so that you have lots of time to play and be creative, but still get stuff done. Oh, that sounds wonderful. I'm sure that there are plenty of us who are listening to this right now who were like, yeah, I could definitely use that. Carolina, thank you so much for taking time out of your day for especially considering that you're in a six week like crunch and you're overcommitted. (laughs) Thank you so much for just sharing your truth and being just so real with us and really just like showing up and being here. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Jennifer. This was great. Love, love the premise of your show. And I look forward to seeing what this sounds like on the other end. Yes, absolutely. As we come to the end of this episode, I'd love to hear what you're taking from this show. Please jump over to empathicmasteryshow.com to leave your comments. In the show notes, you'll find a link to grab your copy of My Empathic Safety Guide, Three Basics for Finding Calm in the Eye of the Storm. And while you're there, please subscribe and follow this show. And thank you for your help sharing this show with the people who need it. Please help me to spread the word and send this podcast to friends or family members who need support living as highly sensitive empathic people. Then join me again when the next Empathic Mastery Show airs. Okay, one last time, hop over to EmpathicMasteryShow.com for your Empathic Safety Guide. And until next show, shine on. We need you and your gifts here on this planet. So please don't judge your empathic rainbow by colorblind standards.